This is Yudaha Cohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. The world might feel a little bit different this week uh, because the Trump era appears to be over. We don't know yet what Donald Trump will do next, what his political base might morph into, or what kind of leadership the Republican Party will present to the public in 2024. But Joe Biden was sworn in last week as the 46th president of the United States which more or less signals that the empire wants to get back to business as usual. I know that a lot of people on the right wanted to see Trump as some kind of crusader against the system, but the truth is that he was merely a clownish caricature of that system. During his four years in office, a lot of people in the United States who had never really been politically active before suddenly woke up and were radicalized in one direction or another. Politics became more sensationalized, more exciting, which also means that political issues became more accessible to people who hadn't really felt interested before. And that's generally a good thing. At least on the surface, it's a positive thing when more people in a society become politically engaged. But it's also important that these newly politicized individuals not let themselves be manipulated by larger agendas, whether it be the agenda of the QAnon conspiracy cult or the agenda of the Democratic Party and its ruling elite. It's good when more people become politically engaged, but it's also important not to get lost down any one rabbit hole. Keep thinking independently. Do your own research. Listen to what your opponents say with an open mind. I think it's really important, especially in the age of social media and today's polarized political climate. Try at least once a day to understand your opponent's point of view how they understand the issues, how they see themselves, how they see the world. And if you can, try to humanize your opponents and see if you can find the truth in their perspective without losing your own. In any case, all those people who had been galvanized against Trump and struggled to get him out of office, don't think for a second that everything is all good now that Biden's in the White House. Business as usual benefits the ruling class. It does not benefit you. At least when Trump was in office, it was obvious to most people in the imperial core and throughout the world that something was very wrong. The problem with Biden is that the mask is back on the system and we're going to have to work even harder to wake people up and even to keep people woke. Regardless of all the things we can say about Trump being a narcissistic sixth grader who somehow became president of the United States for four years, Joe Biden represents the US establishment at its worst. Maybe he'll be more efficient at tackling the pandemic or climate change, or at least acknowledging that these are real issues. But let's not forget that Biden has been part of an establishment that's guilty of imperialist behavior at its absolute worst. So everyone who fought for a world without Trump in power should be careful not to fall into the liberal narrative that everything is getting back to normal. There is no normal. The United States is clearly an empire in decline and Biden being who he is might prove to be more destructive around the world if he isn't constantly checked and called out by all the good people who had been calling Trump out these last four years. So don't sleep. Removing Trump was just the first step. There's still a long struggle ahead. Now here in the state of Israel, Donald Trump was actually generally seen as a very positive and friendly US president in comparison to many of his predecessors. We often heard statements from Israeli political leaders and even local leaders on the ground here in Judea or in Samaria calling Trump the most pro-Israel US president ever. And I think it's really important to push back on that narrative. First of all, because Israel doesn't need and shouldn't want a more pro-Israel emperor in Washington. 
that kind of thinking already exposes a deep psychological problem we as a people need to overcome. What Israel does need is freedom, freedom from the forces of empire. So the only thing a US president should be able to do to be considered good for Israel is to reduce US control over our leaders and over our policies. And so that's the first thing I have to say against this narrative of Trump being a great friend to Israel. The second thing I'd say is that the Trump administration, just like all US administrations before it from 1967 until today, attempted to divide our country into two separate states. The Trump plan involved taking 70% of the West Bank away from Israel. And this alone is of course, one great reason for the people of Israel to be grateful that he's out of office before he could push his plan on us. So in that spirit, I want to introduce a very special guest to the program, chairman of the Yesha Council, the Council of Jewish Communities in Judea and Samaria, David El-Khayani. Hi, David. I just want to say during the Trump years, and especially after the release of the Trump plan last January, you really were one of the only Jewish leaders here in the territories in the West Bank and Yudav Shomron to show real leadership in resisting the plan and calling Trump out for really being no different from any of his predecessors when it comes to Eretz Israel. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the show, and I really want to thank you for joining me. Welcome. Now, when the Trump team released its deal of the century, which called for Israel to surrender uh, 70%, uh, of our heartland, you spoke out against the plan, but many of our nationalist politicians and local Jewish leaders embraced it. Why do you think that is? Why do you think so many uh, strong Jews uh, who fight for Eretz Israel gave in and accepted Trump's plan? I think the, <clears throat> the answer is that most of them didn't believe that the United States of America or President Trump, Kushner, they are not serious about the Palestinian state in 70% of giant Shomeria. Don't forget, there is another 10% in Israel that have to give, that they give to the Palestinian uh, state. So they didn't believe that the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, will let the Palestinians become a state. They thought, and some of them says, let's do like, like Ben Gurion said, let's take what they give us and then we'll complete the, another area. I told them President Trump is serious about his plan. He will not let Israel to make sovereignty even one inch in the West Bank until the prime minister will recognize the Palestinian state. Don't forget, David Friedman in his, in his word said, this is the first time that Israel accept. He didn't say he will think about that. Oh, we will, he will, they will negotiate. He said, this is the first time that Israel accept and, and mark the borders of the Palestinian state. So we have the president of the United States, Trump. And I said that you don't have, the, the Americans don't have to reduce their support in Israel. If you, if you believe that, if you then believe that the United States of America, any president, even if it's Democrat or Republican, they are friends of Israel, they have to accept the idea when you are a friend of somebody, even if you don't accept everything he, he wants to do, as a friend, you have to support it. So just Israel, just Israel have to decide what is the best interest for Israel in the communities in the West Bank 
and for their security, Israeli security. Just Israel, not the United States, not England, not French, not Italy. So as a friend, I accept from them to support what we will decide. It is Jewish land. As a Jewish, we have to decide what to do in, in this land. It was, I said that I can't believe that a president of the United States, Trump, that they said it is, it is the best friend that we have in the White House. He was the only guy that wrote 159 in the Trump plan, Palestinian state. So I said, if you are a friend of Israel, you will not to bring a Palestinian state in 17% of Judea Shomreya. I said, as you know, we live, we live in, in, in Yudavi Shomron, but I'm afraid not about the communities in Yudavi Shomron. It's danger for the security of Israel or for those who live between Haifa and, and Ashkelon. If you bring area 10 times than Gaza, hundreds of meters from Tel Aviv, Hoda Sharon, Natania, this is the danger of the Jewish state. I, I can say that a friend will not do it because it's for danger, it's dangerous for all the Jews all over the world. Mm -hmm. That's very well said. Now, let me ask you as somebody who, I also oppose the Trump plan as you do, and I oppose any division of the land of Israel, but I'm gonna ask you now, maybe as the head of the Yesha Council, what do you propose be the solution for the Palestinians who live here with us? What, what can we do for them if we're not gonna divide the land? First of all, what we see in the last past 12 years, 13 years, I live since 1983 in, in the Jordan Valley. I saw when, how, how uh, the Palestinians changed the quality of life. Every year, every year, they increase, they increase their quality of life. We can see they learn more in the university, they have new houses, new cars. So they want the, the same quality of life of the, Arab, in Arab, the Arabs in Israel. They want Israeli ID. They don't want, most of them don't want to be under, under the, the Palestinian authority. They know that the Palestinian authority are corrupted. Mm -hmm. When they heard about the opportunity that there will be a, a law that uh, the Jordan Valley will be under Israeli sovereignty, most of them were happy, 95%, not just 95%. A lot of Arabs from Shechem and Jenin changed, them, they changed the ID to the Jordan Valley to get the Israeli ID. To be able to become Israeli citizens. Yeah, yeah, of course. So what I said that the life is stronger than anything. An, an economic situation uh, uh, is better than anything. When they see that the quality of life is increasing, they don't want to lose it. They want to be an Israeli citizen. And like when I ask one of the Arab workers, why you want to be a, a, an Israeli citizen? Why you want to you want Israeli ID? He said, look what happened. The Israeli Democrat put in jail prime minister, president, Knesset members, ministers, and what Abu Mazen do? He put the Democrat, the Democrat, he put it in jail. Mm -hmm. 
So they know what happened will happen if the Palestinian Authority, that they know they are corrupted, will rule. They want quality of life. And I said, the life is better, life is, is stronger than anything. I believe that in five, 10, 20 years, 20 years, when Israel will make sovereignty in, the, in 60% of the area, uh, most of them will be Israeli civilians. Why? Just in, in the area C, we have 5% of the Palestinians. The other 95% are living in area A and area B, and they are under the responsibility of the Palestinian Authority, 95%. So if we have to pay for 5% to be Israeli, Israeli, Israeli citizens, it's good for us to make sovereignty under 60% of the area. Right, but becoming more ambitious, would you be okay with a situation in which we completely dismantle the Palestinian Authority, apply sovereignty to the entire West Bank, and give every Palestinian Israeli citizenship and a better life together with us? In my opinion, I think another generation, it will happen. Okay, Bezat Hashem. It will happen. In another generation, it will happen. We can live together. So getting back to Donald Trump, well, let, let me ask you this. While you were opposing the Trump plan, what kind of pressure did you personally come under for not embracing Trump, not embracing his plan? And was your position as head of the Yesha Council ever threatened? Did anybody ever threaten to remove you from your position? Well, some of them wanted to move me from my position, but most of, we have in the Yesha Council 24, 24 uh, mayors. Mm-hmm. And they don't, not all of them have the same opinion, mm-hmm. but we voted and decided that we want sovereignty mm-hmm. in Area C. And we don't want a Palestinian state. Mm-hmm. That was the majority of the mayors beside this. So when, you know, when we go, we go to, to member Knesset and ministers and we talk about the Trump plan. Well, most of them say, you know, uh, we like the Trump plan. We said, okay, do you know the Trump plan? 95% even didn't read it. And we could tell them, okay, do you want a Palestinian state? They said, we don't want Palestinian state. So I told them, if you don't want a Palestinian state, the meaning of what you said that you don't want the Trump plan. So you take the Trump plan and you put it in the garbage mm-hmm. because the meaning of the of Trump plan is 70% in Judeo-Jewish run to give them to a Palestinian state. And this is something that it's very dangerous for the security of Israel. Mm-hmm. That's the reason when the Prime Minister Netanyahu want to make sovereignty, he, he thought that he will make, he bring sovereignty to 30% of the area and you don't have to give nothing. So after one hour, he understand, not he understand, Kushner understand that in the White House, when the President Trump, he said he was talking about the Trump plan and he says about every word, every sentence, he said, Economic peace, Palestinian state. Economic reason, Palestinian state. Security, peace. And when the Prime Minister Netanyahu started to speak, in his speech, he didn't say one word about Palestinian states. So the American, especially Kushner, said something is wrong. In the Obama administration, 
בנימין נתניהו said to state solution. Now in the White House, when Trump is here in the same room, he didn't say Palestinian state. Something is wrong. So they stop sovereignty because they understand that if they will allow to Israel to bring the sovereignty without to give the Palestinian state, it will never happen. Because of that, there is no sovereignty in the West Bank, in the communities, in Judean Shomron. Because Benjamin Netanyahu thought he will take the sovereignty and he will throw away the Palestinian state. The American told him, hey guy, you can't do it. If you want to take, you have to give. If you don't want to give, we will not allow you to take. Because of that, we don't have Israel sovereignty in the communities in Judea Shomron. Right. Well, that's also a problem of us thinking that the Americans have to give us permission to make sovereignty. Yeah, of course. We don't have to get permission from anybody. We are the only one who have to decide. And if America is a friend of Israel, they have to support us. Some, some people say, you know, President Trump, Republican will tell them there is no difference between Republicans and Democrats. He said, how can it be? Said, what, how can it be? It depends who is the guy. And if you look, if you look at the Gerush from Gush Katif, mm-hmm. do you remember who was the president in the United States? George W. Bush. And he was, he was Republican. That's right. So you can't say that just Republicans are good for Israel. It depends who is the president. Not only that, his father, who was also a Republican president, removed Yitzhak Shamir from office. Of course. So, as I said, it depends who is the guy. And more of that, it depends who is the prime minister in Israel. Mm-hmm. Because the prime minister in Israel have to say to the president in the United States, we are friends. We are the, democ- the only democrat states in the area. So, if you are friends, you have to support us. what we will decide to do in the West Bank. Yuda, you know what I, where I said West Bank? Why do you say West Bank? Because the East Bank is also belong to us. Well, it certainly shouldn't belong to the Hashemites. <laughs> That's for sure true. What's definitely yeah. true is that the Hashemites are an illegitimate kingdom. I know. Now, I saw that you mentioned in your interview with the Times of Israel last week that you think... Israelis should have been more concerned with Trump's empowering of racist and anti-Semitic right-wing groups in the United States. Uh, can you speak more to that? Well, I said to a lot of my friends, even in the Yesha Council, mayors, I said, I don't like, I can't see Trump as a, as, as, as a friend, not just about the plan, the Trump plan. I told them, why you don't talk about what Trump is doing, that he raised their head Of those people or those white that are Nazis, they are racists. So how we can as a Jewish to see what he's doing and not to say nothing? Why? Because he brought the embassy from Tel Aviv, he moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Because of that, we will not say nothing about what he's doing to those Nazis that they, they raise their head now. As a Jewish, we can't accept it after the Holocaust. Right. It's incredible, really. 
You also made very clear in your interview that you think a Biden administration will be better for Israel, especially when it comes to keeping the land of Israel whole in one piece, because Biden's an obvious threat and will be more prepared to resist whatever pressure he brings, meaning Trump, we thought was a friend like Bush. You know, we thought Bush was a friend. He was able to take Gaza from us. We thought Trump was a friend. We were about to accept his plan. But Biden, you think, will be easier to resist. Uh, can you speak more to that? I was afraid that if Trump will be elected again, he will force Israel to accept the Palestinian state. Mm-hmm. This is the last, it, 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 it was the last, the last administration of him. No, he, he don't have to elect again. Right, second term. Yeah, he don't have to elect again. Mm-hmm. So he want only the one thing. He wanted the, the Nobel Prize. Legacy. Legacy. I don't believe what he do, it was to, he was thinking what would be better for Israel. He was thinking what would be better for Trump. Of course. And now that Biden's in office, if Biden does come with a plan to try to make a two-state solution here, you expect more support from your colleagues in the Yesha Council and more support from government ministers when it comes to resisting American pressure, right? Of course. Not just, not just in the Yesha Council, all over the country, yeah. 78% of the Jewish in Israel will, will, not, will not accept the Palestinian state. They know, you know, they know, if you will talk about Palestinian state before 25 years in the Oslo Agreement, well, it was 60%. More and more, more and more Israeli, they don't want to give a Yudavishon on because the possibility that their life, they will be under afraid they will be threatened by uh, uh, the way that the Hamas, the Hamas is holding Israel. What they want, they throw missiles. What they don't want, they don't throw missiles. And you know what is 100 meters from Tel Aviv? You know what would happen to Tel Aviv if they will throw bombs to Tel Aviv? It'd be a ghost city. Yeah. They'd run away. They will run away. Right. So I said, I said to those friends, those Israeli friends, like the United States, like the, the French or the German, those friends that told us, well, you have to take risk for peace and give the land for a Palestinian state. What will happen if, if what will happen if five years from now, 10 years, 15 years, they will throw bombs to Tel Aviv and Ramat Gan and Hoda Sharon and Kfar Saba and Rishon Lezion and Ben Gurion Airport. And a lot of Jewish will die. What will they will say? Excuse me, we make mistake. We didn't know. We give you money to build again the homes. You give me money to build me. Uh, cemeteries. Cemeteries, cemeteries. So I said to those friends, no, thank you. As a Jewish, after the Holocaust, we can't take any risks. Okay. So when it comes to charting our future, I, I personally, you know, I've been working with Palestinians for about 10, 11 years already. In my experience, most Palestinians don't want a state. They don't care about a flag. They don't care about a national anthem. They want a good life together in a one state. I agree with you. I agree with you. But it requires us. I mean, part of the problem is if the Jews living in the West Bank aren't able to find a way to unite with those Palestinians, 
we're going to continue to deal with the same problems because only by uniting and being able to speak to the world in one voice, if the world, if the French and the Germans and the Americans hear Israelis and Palestinians saying together, we don't want two states, we want just one state together, then they'll have no strength to come in and try to push their agenda. They're only able to push their agenda because we don't talk to each other. And I think it's important that we start uh, facilitating more Jews, the Jews living in the West Bank, the Jews living in Hebron, the Jews living in Yitzhar, and also fine Efrat and uh, Alon Shvut too, I guess, but to actually meet Palestinians and to be able to have real political conversations about what the future of this country can look like together. Well, I live here in, from the uh, say nine, since 1983. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that in the Jordan Valley and a lot, of, a lot of places in the West Bank, there is a good relationship between the Israeli communities and the Palestinians. We are going to their wedding, they are coming to my to their, our wedding. Mm-hmm. We know their children, they know our children, the name of the children. We work together. You know, when I was a, when I was a farmer, before I became a mayor in 2009, and my wife said, you spend time with Yusuf more than you spend with me. Mm-hmm. So when you spend time each other, you know each other, you are not afraid from him and he is not afraid for me. That's right. So not just that. When they have problem and they ask me to solve the problem and I'm doing it, they look at me as an address mm-hmm. to their problem and they don't look at the Palestinian Authority as an address. Right. They try to do it, but the Palestinian Authority didn't help them. So now they know that if there is any problem, electricity, water, to whom they are going, not for the Palestinian Authority, because at the first time they tried to speak to the Palestinian Authority to fix the electricity, and they needed 300,000 shekel to fix it, the Palestinian Authority told them, solve your problem by your own. So they came to me to help them. And I solved it, the, the, I, have, I, I give them the solution. So now they are looking at me as an address, and that's what will be. Mm-hmm. And then you say, they don't flag, they don't want the flag, they don't want the states, they don't want the president, but they want quality of life. They want good education. They want good salary. You know, a lot of Palestinians, policemen, left their job and come to, and come to work in the community because their salary is three times more than they get to the Palestinian Authority. Right. So that would be a good way to begin sovereignty. The, you know, when Trump took yeah, of course. From the Palestinian Authority, we wrote in our magazine, we wrote that Israel should now start paying Palestinian workers. We should pay their policemen, we should pay their teachers, we should pay their hospital workers, their doctors. Uh, and if they're getting a paycheck every month from the state of Israel and they get the paycheck at the same level as Israeli policemen, the same paycheck yeah. as Israeli doctors, then suddenly that's how you make sovereignty. You make sovereignty by taking responsibility. Of course. Well, David El Khayani, thank you so much for joining me. On You're the welcome, Yuda. You know, we really see you as an example of real leadership at the Vision Movement. And as far as I'm concerned, when so many Jewish leaders behaved as straight up sheep during the Trump years, you proved yourself to be a real honest and courageous leader. You stood up for the homeland against a very aggressive and a very unstable U.S. administration. So it's a real honor to have you on the show. And thank you so much for joining me. Shana Tova. Shana Tova, Ida. That was David El-Khayani, head of the Yesha Council. 
clearly an intelligent man, a man of principle, a courageous man who was able to stand up to the Trump administration when barely anyone else would. And I thought it'd be very important for listeners to hear what he had to say. Now, switching gears for a moment, it's now Tugashvat, the 15th day of the month of Shvat, and that marks the new year for trees. It's actually one of the four New Year dates on the Hebrew calendar, along with the first of Tishrei, the first of Nisan, and the first of Elul. There's also a deeper meaning to Tubishvat that we should keep in mind. In Hebrew culture, springtime is associated with rebirth or renewal and redemption. That's why Pesach is often referred to as Chag Ha'aviv, the festival of spring. And Pesach, which takes place on Tuba Nisan, the 15th day of Nisan, commemorates a day on which open miracles were performed on our behalf. Israel was liberated from slavery as 10 plagues decimated Egypt, and then the sea split for us and drowned our persecutors. Open miracles. So the 15th of Nisan, when springtime is already in full swing, celebrates obvious, undeniable divine intervention and supernatural miracles to bring redemption to Israel. But if we go back a month, when spring has just begun, but might still be less obvious, we arrive at the 15th of Adar, Tu Adar. In Jerusalem and any other city that was walled in the generation of Yehoshua ben Nun, Tuba Adar is Purim, a festival where we see hidden miracles manifesting through a natural series of political events. Hashem isn't mentioned in the scroll of Esther. He's hidden. But the events that take place over a 10-year period clearly have a direction and a purpose that ultimately culminates with the redemption of Israel through practical political means. Purim is a time when at least some of us are able to recognize the purpose and divine authorship of history without any need for supernatural miracles. And while Pesach is associated with the written Torah, Purim is associated with the oral Torah. But there's also another date associated with the hidden Torah, the Kabbalah. If we go back another month, to the 15th of Shvat, we can see the gentle stirrings of redemption beneath the surface. We can notice subtle changes and new conversations that could potentially lead us towards real revolutionary change. We learn that what actually happens on Tu B'Shvat is that the trees stop drinking the waters of last year and begin drinking new waters. New water symbolizes new Torah, new ideas. Every chapter of history, every stage of our revolution requires fresh ideas or at least a new application of old ideas. And that's what Tu B'Shvat is really all about. It's about renewal. It's about rebirth. It's really a great day for focusing on new ways of thinking to advance not only our liberation, but also our mission in history, which of course requires us to have a certain minimum level of independence in order to fulfill. So with that, I'd like to wish all of our listeners a Shana Tova and a meaningful Tu B'Shvat. If you're interested in going deeper into these ideas, you should definitely check out some of the Tu B'Shvat content at Vision Magazine featuring Rav Gavriel Ries. Highly recommended. And if you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and or Spotify. And please leave a positive rating and review because that can really help us spread these ideas to a much wider audience. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at visionmag.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And of course, if you're interested in supporting the show or sponsoring an episode of either The Next Stage or of The Hebrew Identity, our podcast on the weekly Torah portion, please contact us by heading over to visionmag.org and clicking contact on the menu bar up top. A lot of work goes into running these podcasts and into running Vision Magazine in general. 
so your support is deeply, deeply appreciated. You've been listening to the Next Stage Podcast, and this is Yudah Kohen of the Vision Movement, wishing you a Shema Tovah.